Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As I'm sure you are aware, Cardinal Collins, the Archbishop of Toronto, has just penned a pastoral letter with the title, Heart Speaks to Heart. Heart Speaks to Heart. And of course, he is strategically published this during the month of June, which is both dedicated to the Feast of Corpus Christi, the, the, the body and blood of Christ, as well as the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and extended also with the Sweetheart of Mary. And, well, in the midst of this pandemic that we're all suffering through, we are all discovering what it means to open our heart and and to keep our love afloat. Because as we go to the Sacred Heart now, the Sacred Heart of Jesus is what keeps us afloat. And we realize that your Sacred Heart, Jesus, still has that cap- capacity to transform us. Despite all the devastation, all the economic upheavals, all the setbacks that this has supposed and the, and the literal transformation of society that the ta- pandemic has brought about, we are kept afloat by the power of the Sacred Heart. And so we are here now in this recollection to heal our own heart so that despite what has happened, our heart might heal, meaning it might truly be capable of love, which means we have to let our wounds be cauterized after so much social distancing. We need to be with others. We need to socialize. We need to embrace. We are social beings. God himself is a trinity, a community of love. And social distancing, in a certain way, has has torn us apart. It's as though it has made us more fragile in our ability to thrive, in even our ability to love, even our ability to study or to work. We need the warmth and the presence of others around us. We need just to be with others. So often it happens that we we speak to someone, we meet them and we we just want to shake their hands, we want to even give them an embrace and then we have to go for these awkward elbow rubs or whatever they're called, right? Uh, Or or you want to go and embrace and no, we can't because it's... uh, you know, we can't, we have to socially distance. 
and that's the responsible thing to do. Well, maybe it is responsible, but it certainly isn't natural. One German psychiatrist said that we should not use the word social distancing. We should use the word simply physical distancing because we need to socially interact and to say that it's necessary or it's an obligation to live social distancing as though this were normal. It's not. It's not at all. We maybe now, for time being, have to keep our distance physically, but we still have to interact. We need to show affection. We need to love. We need to speak. We need to listen. And we just need to be there with others. To love them, to serve them. Well, in the face of all this acrimony in the world, Cardinal Collins invites us to listen to those comforting words of Jesus from the Gospel of St. Matthew. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the passage from St. Matthew that he starts his, his pastoral letter with. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy burdened, who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Well, during this time of prayer and this meditation, we do want to come to you, Lord. We say to you now, you can say from your place where you are at home, I want to come to you. you. Some of you can see the tabernacle there. And we want to say we want to come to you because we have been heavy burdened. This has been a heavy burden for us. We are kind of tired. And we want to learn from your sacred heart, Lord. We want to learn so that our own heart may expand not so that it stay narrow and self-confined and isolated and restrained to our own interests, to our own, our own screens. We all remember what it was like before the pandemic, and we dream of not having to walk around with a mask and not being limited to where we have to go and how many people can go into this place or that place. And and that we can have supper and we can go to church or we can go to gyms. Well, all peoples of all ages have had their challenges. In some, in some periods, people had to hide in bunkers during the wars and stuff. So, so really, in, the sense, in a certain sense, we have to really see this pandemic and all the limitations that are imposed upon us, those of us at least who stay healthy, or not infected, at least that this be in some way an opportunity to grow, to grow. And one of the most important things that can grow is our ability to love. And we love with a human heart, not with a mathematical formula. Cardinal Collins says, there never was a golden age, and we, like generation like each generation of Christians, must serve where God has placed us, battered by the wind and the waves. 
often afraid but ready to encounter Jesus walking on the stormy waters, saying to us, Be not afraid. Especially in these tempestuous times, we have a mission received in baptism and confirmation to move outward with compassion, with compassionate love, in the imitation of Christ, to share his healing love. Beautiful words by the Cardinal that we have a mission. This is the time we're living in. This is what God has permitted for us. In this time of masks and we're going to call it physical distancing, we have a, a mission to live out that compassionate love. And he says that this time we need, that's why we need his sacred heart, because that sacred heart of Jesus will teach us that compassionate love. We are not angels. We don't simply understand truths by mere rational or mathematical deduction. Naturally, we need rational understanding of things, but not only that. We are not only that. We need this, this visual image of the heart. This sign that is the sacred heart. Because it helps us to experience the extent of His love. I mean, in the end, obviously, the heart is a sign. It's a sign. And we can picture St. John at the Last Supper, how he reclined on Jesus' bosom, on his breast, on his, on his chest, painting, showing Jesus there, and next to him, the young John, who reclined next to him. That image of of John reclining on Jesus could be seen as kind of a moment of tenderness. It could be seen as kind of like him leaning over to really listen to what Jesus was saying. He was the youngest, and for him, perhaps that affection was also a sign of his own vulnerability. Well, we too have to be present there next to Jesus with that beloved disciple there at that supper or at the foot of the cross. Because imagine if John leaned over to Jesus like that with his ear so close to his chest, he would have heard. He would have heard the heart of Christ beating. Sometimes you can hear a person's heart beating. And Christ himself knew that he would die Maybe his heart was beating intensely. They say that about people that know they're going to die, and then they survive in an accident or in their, on a plane or something, and they say, my, my heart was beating like crazy. And, of course, they can't tell you that if they die, because they die. But, uh, but if they survive, they, they can tell you the experience. Well, Jesus, of course, didn't survive. He died, but he rose. And it's in that moment... At the Last Supper, the Lord gave them the commandment of love, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And so, the image of the Sacred Heart, when did it first appear? Like, when does it come out? Well, we know, more or less, it came, it appeared fairly early in the Middle Ages. 
People would meditate on the heart of Jesus, perhaps because of those passages from Scripture. Meaning that they would reflect on the wonder and the beauty of how Jesus loved them. But you can say that in a sermon, you can say Jesus loved you, and, and you can write it down in maybe forms of, of poetry and, and religious texts, but sometimes just showing the heart there. Sometimes they would see the wounds and the feet. Those are signs of, of Jesus' suffering because we know that he, his feet were, were pierced, his hands were pierced, and even his side was pierced. We learn that from St. John that, that he saw Jesus' side punctured by the soldier Longinus. And, and it's as though when Longinus stabbed Jesus on the side, trying to, in principle trying to verify that he was dead, he hit his heart. The, the spear went into his heart and out of his side came water. It was as though water and blood, as though, as though his heart exploded there out of love for us on the cross. That torrent of blood and water that came out. It wasn't just a trickle, let's say. It was an act of violence, the piercing of, uh, of his side with a lance. As a response to that came this heart flowing with water and blood. Sign of the, of, of the Eucharist and sign of the other sacraments of, the, of baptism. And... This kind of devotion to the Sacred Heart continued, and it was usually manifested uh, through just uh, like an image of the actual heart, just the heart alone, or sometimes just the hands or the feet. And by the 17th century, France, the, well, the faith of the people had been badly shaken, partly through Jansenism, there had been a rebellion against the church and neglect of her teaching. There was a rise of Protestantism in many corners. But especially this, this heresy within the church called Jansenism that started around certain, certain monasteries that, that, that lived a very, very severe and strict form of Catholicism. It pitted Catholics against Protestants. And in that kind of very intense uh, sort of cultural upheaval, this devotion to the Sacred Heart gained a special boost with this French nun, Margaret Mary Alacoque, or Alacoque in French. Um, she was of the order of the visitation, so a visitation nun. And in 1670, she was in the chapel and suddenly felt completely that the chapel was completely diffused or suffused, is perhaps the better word, suffused by, by divine providence and divine presence, that God was there. And she heard the Lord inviting her to take the place which St. John had occupied at the Last Supper, when he was kneeling, or rather when he was leaning against the Lord's chest. And the Lord told her there, in this mystical vision that she had, told her that his heart must spread, that is, love of his heart must spread and manifest itself to men, and 
he would reveal its graces through her. And as she, as she experienced this, and she, she had a number of other visions, she had a tremendous sense of comfort and peace. And Jesus told her of his great love and explained that he had chosen her to make his love and goodness known to all. She suddenly felt very overwhelmed by, the, by this great mission she had been given. And a few years later, in, 19, in 1674, uh, she reported that Jesus wanted to be honored under the figure of his heart of flesh. And that the, that the faithful seek to re- receive the Blessed Sacrament, the Eucharist, more frequently, especially on the first Friday of the month and uh, observe a holy hour in devotion to him and to his sacred heart. I mean, that's, that's where the devotion to sacred heart started because, because at that time, due to the Jansenist influence, people like, didn't go to communion. They thought they would never be, you know, they would never be uh, worthy and uh, you know, the slightest thing, if you blinked your eyes too fast, you, you, you were not worthy of communion. Right? So, so she, with this, these visions that she had, she developed this devotion to the sacred heart. And that came to be the mission of her life. And, of course, the devotion to the Sacred Heart naturally came with a visual representation of that moment. A visual representation, kind of both of what she saw and what Jesus was presenting in this this figure of the Sacred Heart. Think of what she she saw or what Jesus showed her. This image became extremely widespread in many parishes. Uh, uh, I think you can, you, I'm sure you've seen this image, these sort of soft focus portrait of a sad-eyed, slightly androgynous figure pointing to an exposed, blood-red heart. He's got his head tilted like this. And the heart, of course, is encircled with thorns, pierced by a lance, dripping with blood, almost always crowned with uh, tongues of fire and a cross on top. The pictures are almost always very maudlin, very saccharine. And... Maybe they, yeah, they captured something, but often you see those pictures and you walk away sad. Uh, or at least you walk away with a twinge of sorrow when you see them. Especially when you're very young, they, these would be hanging in church vestibules, poorly reproduced, and um, they, they had these big, sad eyes of the Savior. And they made you think, how much I have suffered for you. How ungrateful you are for what I have done. Look, look at my heart. And that has an effect on young people, I suppose. And then with time, 
these kinds of images, they became so widespread. Every single Catholic home had them. Every church rectory became like wallpaper in the background of everybody's spiritual life. They became into medals. They became into little statuettes. But often the actual meaning of these images was left uh, hanging. And when you see these images, we don't have any of these here as far as I know, I don't think you do, but these images of the Sacred Heart, with all due respect to whoever did them, it's hard not to feel manipulated by their tender sappiness. You just feel, okay, 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 look, I, I know, I know I did wrong, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you, Lord. I didn't really didn't mean it. You know, but you're kind of like, okay, let's see if I can calculate my way out of this one, you know. And uh, does our Lord want us to feel sad like that? What is he? But if you look at the image more carefully, what is the, what is the Lord Jesus doing? Well, this was supposed to be the vision of Margaret Mary, and he's speaking to her. He's not speaking to us, he's speaking to her. But if you look carefully, he's really kind of like zipping open his shirt, divesting himself, removing the robe, even to a certain degree removing the very skin underneath, opening up his muscles and his sinews and the nerves, and revealing there what is there, his heart. And so, so he's taking it out and, and uh, kind of like saying, this is the power of my love. Sometimes, sometimes the heart is actually sitting in his hand. And there was some Italian, uh, very modish, mocky, soft, twinkly-eyed images like that, where he's got his heart in his hands. And around the heart, the same fire that burns is the same fire that burns out of love for you. And this is the, the fire that he wants to fill you with, and me with. Well, we have, to, we have to pray about this and see how the Sacred Heart of Jesus can really integrate itself properly to us without us feeling that sense of manipulation. Because ultimately we know He created me with that desire to love, the love that is this consuming fire. He's saying, I want you, uh, I want to love you forever, always. That's the kind of love I want to offer you. And the heart is surrounded by these flames of a glorious heart. And Cardinal Collins in his letter says quite beautifully, he says, the flames that provide light in a world darkened by sin and warmth in a world that too often is cold, that treats people as things to be used, not as persons to be loved. They are flames of zeal, sign of the fire that came down upon the disciples at Pentecost as they were sent out to the, whole, to the world on fire for Christ, as are we all. And Cardinal Collins mentions how the heart is wounded, and it is wounded from that lance. And then in the Apocalypse, we see the image of the risen Christ and the, and the Lamb on the throne, 
of God in glory, and yet it is a lamb, but he is slain. He's lying there, also wounded, also making us feel guilty. All this reminds us that ultimately the love of Jesus is not merely a theoretical love. It has to kind of pain us, and if it means, okay, making us feel guilty, okay. It ultimately points to our need for integrity. That crown around the heart reminds us of real love, faithful love, totally committed love for others, gift of ourselves. This is what the Cardinal says, you know, that, uh, you know, that he says, if, if we only act in order to attract applause and shift our principles to guarantee that approval, we will never fully live or love at all, and we will lose our very self. Real love is inseparable from integrity and may well include a crown of thorns, which reminds us of the cost of discipleship. So, okay, if you want me to have those thorns, I will have them, Lord. Let's ask our Blessed Mother, who says, Behold the heart that has loved us so much, yet has received so little in return. It's a great testimony for us to live during this uh, important time of the month of, of June. Saskar, so Blessed Mother, uh, that she teaches us how to love. Maybe you can find uh, that image. There, there are other images that are more, um, let's say, manly looking, I guess, uh, less, um, less tacky, less uh, sappy looking, I guess, you know, but... Uh, but Nevertheless, it does point to the need for the integrity of love. Our Blessed Mother will help us to arrive at this. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you how to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.